There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm Gino Retta. You know, I've spent decades working the game of hockey, fortunate enough to meet some of the legends of the game uh, saw them come into the league, watched them shine the game. Now they've moved on to life after the game. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us an opportunity to catch up, tell some stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's NHL legend, a three-time Stanley Cup champion, a three-time Selkie Award winner, Hockey Hall of Famer, inducted in the tw- in 2019, and he's the last man to captain a Canadian franchise to the Stanley Cup title. We're talking about Guy Carboneau. Guy, welcome to the show, my friend. Great to have you with us. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, Fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just eleven sixty nine, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for two dollars. Seven Eleven is your go to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, twenty four seven. Can you believe, Guy? That was nineteen ninety three. That's almost thirty years ago, and you're the last captain to hoist a Stanley Cup for a Canadian NHL team. Did you see that coming? Not really, and and it's it's funny because you know about uh, well thirty years. So after ten years in in two thousand three, after I retire, you meet a lot of people, and some people say, "Can you believe ten years since the Canadian teams or the Canadians yeah. has won the Stanley Cup?" And then it went to fifteen, and then twenty, and then twenty five, and now it's almost thirty. So uh, it's 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 tough to believe. Uh, you know, I know the uh, the league has expanded. There are 32 teams, and it's uh, it's tough to uh, to win. But uh, there's been some really good Canadian teams over the years, and uh, you know, it's hopefully come soon. The great thing is now you're such a rich part of the most historic franchise in NHL history. I mean, watching when you were a kid, watching some of the legends of the game playing, and then you end up not only playing for the organization but wearing the C for the organization, raising the Stanley Cup in the organization, doing all that you did, and then uh, behind the bench as well. (laughs) Did you ever in your wildest imaginations as a little guy growing up thinking that you would experience every aspect of one of the most storied franchises in NHL history? Uh, Definitely not. I mean, you know, I think like every kid in Canada and pretty much now in, in the world, you know, you, you start, you grow up and, and you have a dream. Uh, coming from a small town east of Quebec City, you know, we, uh, hockey was really big. Uh, Canadians was huge. Uh, that was the only game we had on Saturday night. So, uh, you know, the dream of being a hockey player came really early. Um, you know, I enjoyed yeah. being on the ice outside, playing with my friends. Uh, I, you know, I was pretty good at an early age. So, you know, you you start thinking about, but thinking and doing is is two different things. But <laughs> as the year went by, uh, I think the dream kept, you know, growing. Um, and and then just one day, you you know, you get a phone call on draft day and 
it's the Canadian that says, you know what, would you like to play for our franchise? I mean, we have a we have a chance to yeah. draft you, and you know, it, and don't there, skirt was... by that though, Guy. When you're talking about when you talk about the phone call on draft day, yeah. there is a great story behind the phone call on draft day. Uh, <laughs> listen, we've all seen the draft and the way it yeah. is now, the magnitude of it, and it's day's event and televised and all the tables. Tell our audience how it was you found out and what you were doing when you were found out you were going to join the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> organization. <laughs> well, first, like uh, the, there was no 18 years uh, draft yeah. the, the year the year before, so uh, you know I missed the draft, uh, but I had a really good season in uh, in the in the queue in Shkumi, and like I said, the 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 year after at 19, uh, I got a phone call from the Canadians. Uh, I can't remember who called me, but you know, asked me a few questions and if I was interested in playing with the Canadians, and and that was it. I mean, that was the only pretty much phone call I had, yeah, from anybody. That was and the intense then, interview process, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, the day of the draft, uh, like you said, there was no nobody called me to go. Whatever I think the draft was in Montreal, but I, I didn't get any phone yeah. call. I was uh, I was in Chicoutimi in the summer, and I was playing golf. Uh, and then after, and there was you no know, cell phones in those days. So I didn't have a cell phone if there was. But uh, and after nine holes, there were no so cell phones I, in nineteen seventy. <laughs> exactly. No, no. So I, I I went by the clubhouse, and the kid at the pro shop, uh, there's somebody that wants to talk to you. Um, I guess you got drafted by the Canadians, uh, and uh, that's how I learned. That's, That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And and life turned out to be pretty good with Guy Garbro because you end up in your first full you played a couple of games before them, but yeah. your first full season was 82 83. Yeah. And then in 1986, you win the Stanley Cup. At that point, did you think, man, life is good going to be a happier? I'm going to win like 15, 20 of these. <laughs> well, I think that's the uh I think that's the, the thought that that it goes through everybody's mind when they, you know, when you have a chance to win uh, the Stanley Cup early in their career. I, I mean, you know, I, being drafted was this has always been a dream. Obviously, being drafted by the Montreal Canadiens was uh, even better uh, from a kid from Quebec. You know, it it was huge. Um, and like I said, you know, when I started in '82, even even you know, first training camp and second training camp, I had a chance to play a couple games in my first two years. But um, you know, the chance to you know, you hear a lot about the franchise in Canadian, but like the guys like Jean Bilivo and Maurice Richard and Henri Richard and uh, Yvonne Cornoyer and Serge Chavard and all those guys were always around us. Um, yeah. You know, they were always at the rink at the, the day of the game. What was that like when you're walking around the halls huge. and there's was unbelievable. Bro Bill? Like he was <laughs> yeah, my idol uh, as a kid yeah. growing up and we're the same age. So I imagine it would have been similar for you. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, and, and I think the, the kids today are really – uh, they have a lot of chance because yeah. uh, you know they have the chance early. You know they they come in the summer. Uh, they have a chance to go around the room. They have a chance to go around. You know the the city, uh, the the organization. They have a little training camp where they can you know get used to the ice, uh, the drift, the dressing room. They have a chance to meet a few guys. In, in my days, uh, we didn't have that. So you know having a chance to come to the uh, most uh, forum and see Jean Bilivo and Maurice Richard. And obviously, you know, the first five, six times that you meet them, it's, you know, you're so nervous. <laughs> you, <laughs> don't, you don't have a chance. To, yeah. You know, you don't want to speak too much. You don't want to say the wrong things. And, but they're, 
you know, you find out that they're just normal people. Uh, they were hockey players like you. They, they went through the same path. Um, you know, they were dreamers at the beginning and then they got drafted and they play in the NHL and they were successful. And, um, and I, and I learned early that, you know, being a Montreal Canadian, uh, it was not easy, but, uh, you know, and, and winning was going to be part of the DNA of the team. And so, there was no doubt at one point in my career that I was going to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, you never know when it's going to happen, but, uh, you know, I've been lucky to win one. Uh, you know, the second and third one was just icing on the cake. I appreciate what you're saying, but I remember because I was a huge fan of yours and the Montreal Canadiens organization as a kid growing up because of Jean Beliveau. He was my guy. Yeah, I saw a transition happen in you, which... I thought was mind boggling because when you were playing major junior, you were ripping it up. You had way over 400 points in, in your four seasons in major junior. So everybody was thinking, here's a guy who's going to step into the NHL. He's a second round yep. draft pick of the Montreal Canadiens. He's going to be a scorer. The Habs draft you and they send you back to junior. Yep. Now your junior eligibility is done. They send you to the a the following year. They send you to the a again. And we're starting to wonder what's going on. <laughs> Like yeah, if <laughs> as as a as somebody watching, I'm asking what's going on. As a kid growing up through this, you must have been shaking your head, saying, "If you guys believed in me so much to draft me, why aren't you using me?" What was that like for you to to go through that? Well, I mean, the the thought didn't come early. I mean, obviously, the dream for everybody that gets drafted, or even when you don't don't get drafted and have a chance to go to tra training camp, is to play in the NHL, and that was my huge dream. Like I had a huge. Um, the last two years in junior was, uh, you know, big season, especially my last one. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, when I went to do my second training camp, I felt a lot more prepared. Obviously, you know, coming into the NHL, playing for a team that just won four Stanley Cup was, uh, you know, was, was, yeah. you know, and go trying to break the lineup was, was tough. Uh, yeah. And in those days, you know, young guys went through the path. I mean, you, you get, but drafted. it wasn't McGee in fairness. It wasn't just trying to break into the lineup with what your game, they were asking you to change your game after it had been. Well, so they didn't, they didn't ask successful. me to, yeah, they didn't ask me to, to do that right away. I, I think, you know, yeah. I, I, the years, the two years that I went to the American league, I think my first year I finished fifth in top five in, in the scoring the yeah. next year, I think I, in the top 10. So the scoring was always going to be there. The, the points yeah. was always going to be there. Um, and then when I, Finally, I think after two years, um, I, I kind of I knew I could play in the NHL, uh, and and I needed to make a move. So they traded Doug Grisbrough and Doug Jarvis that year, and brought uh, Dan Deu and myself. Um, and then you know, but as a young kid going through the NHL, we were not playing a lot. Like even when yeah. Dan was playing the first five, six yeah. games before he got traded, like he wasn't playing a lot. Uh, and that was no different. Um, I was playing five minutes, six minutes a game uh, on the fourth line. Um, and then uh, the second year, um, that's when Jacques Lemaire came in. And, and Jacques, you know, being an, an ex-player uh, and successful ex-player, you know, and playing with Guy Lafleur and Steve Schott. And not that Jacques was the Selkie trophy winner yeah. but like he always played he always played really you know he, he knew how to play good defense he knew yeah. that those two guys that talent offensively and that he was going to have to kind of stay back a little bit and and he got his points and and that was his thinking about you know building a team 
he knew that we had two yeah. really good offensive lines, um, Bobby Smith with Claude Lemieux and Matt Snashler and, and guys like that. But he wanted to put a good defensive line together. And and he certainly did that with you. He certainly did that with you. We're in conversation with three-time Selkie Award winner, uh, Guy Carboneau, three-time Stanley Cup champion, Hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, for me, for me, the real, the real drama in your career, uh, you know, your first Stanley Cup was spectacular. It was awesome. But the real drama comes in 1993. Now you got Gretzky and the Kings, the greatest offensive talent in the history of the game. Yep. And you're the guy who said, I'm going to be a defensive guy and, and make a, make a good career out of that. Adding your points where you're going to do that. So now you got Gretzky and the Kings in the Stanley Cup final game. One goes horribly badly for you guys. Gretzky comes flying out of the gate. Uh, I think he had a, what a goal. No, sorry. He, he didn't add two goals, two assists, four points, three points yeah. four points in the opening game. You guys lose the opening game. And now you're thinking, uh Oh, this, this is trouble. Some of the guys are thinking that, but not you, you then go have a conversation <laughs> with Jacques Lemaire. What do you tell him at that point after game one, going as badly as it did facing the greatest offensive talent in the world? Well, I was I always thought I had a good relationship with with the, my, my coach. Um, you know, I, I think um, I'm I don't know everything, but you know, I have a lot of confidence in in what I can do. And and you know, at, to this point, you know, I was uh, it was nine years of of good defensive hockey. Uh, I was always put in position to play against the best and 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 being successful at it. Um, Jacques Demers in that final thought, you know. He wanted to put Kurt Muller's line against Gretzky, um, and that you know, and, and you can't you can't say anything about it. And but and like I said, like he, he had a really big uh, first game, and uh, I just went to see him and you know, kind of told him what I thought. Like you know, I, I've for me on, being on say, the ice. Say what play, you said, because I remember the quote. <laughs> say what you well, said. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it's just. If if I ask him to put me against Gretzky, because that's you said, that's, give me Gretzky. Gretzky is that yeah. a, is that an accurate quote? Well, I don't know if I say give, but like you know, my thought was like you know, I, I've been playing defense or defensively my whole career uh, against the yeah. best players, and if you do that, that will allow line like guys like Kirk Muller and guys like that, like John Leclerc, to be a little bit freer, like you yeah. know, more free on the ice. Uh, you don't have to worry about who's you know. Because when you play when against Wayne, against Mario, against you know even today against you know guys like Crosby or McDavid, you have to know that at one point uh, they're so dangerous offensively. You're gonna have to kind of sacrifice a little bit of your game. You have to be on your toes all the time. And so my idea was just you know uh, give me Gretzky, and that will free up you know Kirk to be able to go a little bit more on our offense and help our team. And as a reminder, I love I love your humility, Guy, but that turned that around, and that was an enormous part of you guys winning the Stanley Cup that year. Gretzky had two goals, two assists in Game One. They didn't win another game. You guys ended up winning four straight after that, and Gretzky ended up with just one more goal and three points through those remaining four games of the series, and you guys win the Stanley Cup. And now. This should be pointed out. You had just been given the C after Bob Gainey stepped aside. So now you get the Stanley Cup. I think that was Gary Bettman's first time as the commissioner to award the Stanley Cup. So you get the Stanley Cup first. 
What was that moment like for you when you, as a Canadian's captain, get to hoist the Stanley Cup? Well, obviously, you know, having a chance to be the first one to touch the cup, uh, you know, after the, the commissioner gave it to you is, is kind of a unreal, um, you know, but like, I, I, like I tell a lot of people, like, uh, you know, like I said, winning one Stanley Cup was unbelievable. Having a chance to win the second and third, not only was like a great achievement, but it, it gave me a chance, like after the 86 one, I don't remember a lot of things after what, <laughs> you know, once you got the, the Stanley cup, I, I know I touched it. I know I, I skated a little bit with it, uh, but I don't remember anything at all. Like yeah, we didn't have like everything went 150 miles an hour. For sure. You were uh, still a kid. So yeah, exactly. We were in the room. There's a lot of people. Then we, we were on a flight. We get tall and, you know, you, you kind of <clears throat> wake up, couple of weeks later and said, Oh my God, like I've done all this and like, we've actually won. So like winning in 93, it was really exciting because I was the captain. Uh, but it also gave me a perspective that uh, was like, you know, I was able to kind of, uh, if you remember, I, I, I touched the cup briefly and I gave it to Denis Savard yeah. uh, right away. And, and I don't think I touched it after that, except when we were back in the room because yeah. was so excited to see everybody that you know for them was the first one um that that was my my joy i really appreciated how wayne handled that situation though because you you ended up shutting him down and here's a guy who was not used to losing in the stanley cup final he had a tremendous amount of success there so in in 2019 you and i uh, i was fortunate enough to be a part of the broadcast of of your induction to the hockey hall of fame we got to spend a lot of time that weekend um you got a, a a very cool message from Wayne Gretzky years after the fact when he found out you were going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Tell me what that was about and what that meant to you. Well, you know, as much as, you know, there, there's 32 teams and, and a lot of hockey players in the world, there's, you know, the NHL is pretty close circuit. Um, yeah. The friendship, you know, in when I started my career, there was not a lot of people that were talking to each other. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it's changed to 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 the best. I think you know you can see it now. There guys are are uh, you know closer together. Uh, they get traded more often, so they they, they, meet, they meet other people. Um, the outdoor games. Uh, you know, I'm I've been on the board for the NHL alumni for for a lot of years now, and so I have a chance to kind of meet and and chat with a lot of other guys that I play against uh, that that never had a chance to 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 talk um yeah. Wayne was one of those guys like I I've played a lot of hockey against him uh all of those years but I never had a chance to kind of talk to him on the ice or after a game or before a game or things like that in events because I never did the all-star game or or a game like that but um we both own a, a place uh, in Idaho, uh, so I had the chance to meet him for a long time now, and and became I don't know if we became friends, but we talked a lot more often. And, uh, and obviously, the the surprise of uh, that phone call from Lanny McDonald, you know, to be induced in, in uh, inducted in, in the Hall of Fame was uh, was unbelievable. So having you scared your wife in that phone call, eh? Yeah, scared because I started to cry and she thought something happened to some, you know, somebody close to me. So, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it was fun. Like Wayne was one of those guys that reached and, and congratulate me on, on the achievement. Uh, 
and you know it, this 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 is just what it's all about um yeah you do things 100 miles an hour uh, not thinking about what's going to happen like i said you know a lot, a lot. like I, I always my dream was always to be in the nhl uh, i wanted to play hockey when i was a kid uh, but nobody dreams about being in, in the Hall of Fame. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just eleven sixty nine, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. We're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer, Guy Carboneau, three-time Stanley Cup champion. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Um, you actually came full circle with Bob Ganey because he he was wearing the C while you were there with the Habs. Yeah. Uh, he mentored you. Here's a guy who won four Selkies himself. So he was evidence of how successful you could be if you're willing to to be a good checking forward. And then years after your success with the Habs, Ganey goes on, moves on to, to run yeah. Dallas. You had already been dealt briefly to the St. Louis Blues. Now you become available. Bob's building another Stanley Cup champion in Dallas. And one of the guys he thinks about is, I wonder what Guy's doing. <laughs> <laughs> what was that yeah. like to get the call to say that the the Bob Ganey and the Dallas Stars want you to be a part of a team they're trying to build to become a Stanley Cup champion? Well, it happened at, at the right time. Like I, you know, I was it was a shock for me uh, the year before when I got traded to St. Louis. Um, you know, I, I just been named. Uh, we won like Stanley Cup in '93, and you know, I was a captain of the team. Uh, nice. I just built a house and. Montreal. I thought, you know, like everybody that started their career somewhere, you, you, you think you you're gonna finish your career at the same place all the time. And so for me, it was a, a shock when I got a, a phone call in the summer to to go to St. Louis, and that was the year of the lockout. So I, we didn't play hockey until I think the end of January. January, yeah. it was the end of January. Yeah. 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 Um, so you know, it was a, just a, and then you know, uh, I had Mike Keenan as a coach. Things were kind of. Iffy, iffy. Uh, yes. Not that I, you know, if everybody knows that Mike, you know, we know Mike. We know Iron so. Mike. <laughs> not that I hate him. I, I think, I no, think outside no. is just, uh, you know, the the connection was not really there. Um, we, we didn't just didn't have that. And uh, in the summer, just before the training camp, I think uh, Bob Bassett broke his leg or yep. hurt his knee. Uh, he was out for almost for the season. And Bob, in his view, again. Uh, wanted to have uh, a, a good defensive centerman. And uh, I, I got a phone call from Mike Keenan. Uh, I said, listen, uh, you do whatever you want to do, but Bob Guinea is looking for a center. Um, he called, and if you want, I can trade you to Dallas. And I said, yes. For sure. Right yeah. away. You know, Not only I, I had the chance to go to to a team where Bob was there, but Mike Keenan was already there. Mike Keen, uh, there was Greg, Craig Ludwig was already yep. there. Uh, so we, there was a couple guys there that, you know, uh, that I played with before. Uh, so that uh, the answer was really quick. So you win your third Stanley cup there, uh, yep. the two with the Habs and your one with the uh, Dallas, the first Stanley cup in Dallas yeah, franchise history. Cool. 
That was pretty cool. How yeah. did that team compare to the other teams? I mean, I know you knew the other guys better. You knew a lot more yeah. guys. You had been a part of the building process. But I just for, for for personnel standpoint, how did that team compare? I have to say, like the, the 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 '99 team was one of the most talented teams that I played in over my career. Um, yeah. You know, Mike Madano, Sergey Zubov, Brett Hall, um, Jordan Wendyk. Uh, you know, that was the beauty of, of having no salary cap in those years, yeah. uh, you know, kind of make it a little bit easier on the GM to kind of, you know, okay, I need that kind of player, how much money he makes, it doesn't matter, you know, you yeah. can go and get him. Um, so, but it was fun to kind of go through the process. My first year, when we got there, we were not really good. And then Bob had a couple more guys and then we got better and then a couple more guys and then we got really good and, uh, missed in the year before uh, 98 I think we missed we really had a good team and then missed and we you can see it the near you know when we came back uh, 98 99 that you know the goal for us was I think everybody expected us to win uh, Stanley so, Cup or bust yeah, exactly and yeah. uh, I think everybody stepped up and, and we had an unbelievable season and uh, just were able to kind of win it at the end too bad we missed in 2000 but uh uh, yeah, it, 2000 it, was tough on you because you yeah. guys went right back to the cup final against the yep. Devils. And in the end, you were pissed. You were pissed, and that was it. I'm done. Yep. I'm yep. out of here. You knew at that point you were done. Well, I, I was, it wasn't because we lost. I, I think, you know, I, I, it, I, for me, it happened uh, over the holidays. Um, I was at home one day um, and I, and I told my wife, I, I'm done after this year. Like, I, I didn't have. You know, after 19 years, um, I didn't have the patience between the games. Well, you'd already won three games. You had a I, Hall of Fame career. What else did you want? <laughs> Don't be greedy. Well, I know, but like you, 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 as an athlete, you're always greedy. Uh, you always want yeah. to win more. Uh, you know, but like it was just the day of a game, uh, I was like a kid I still. Um, you yeah. know, like I went to practice, came back home, ate, ate my spaghetti, and then had my little nap <laughs> and pregame you know, meal, exactly, the superstitions. Exactly. But if we had two, three days between period between the games, it, it, for me, it felt long. So I kind of knew that, um, you know, this was going to be. And so after six games, when we lost in overtime uh, against Jersey, I threw all my equipment in the garbage <laughs> and I said, to "Guys, <laughs> guys, I'm done." And, and hold on, though, there was something really good that did happen in your last year in Dallas during the regular season. You mentioned kids. So <laughs> so you're in the room. Yeah. And there's this young kid, Brendan Morrow, comes in. It's his rookie season in yeah. the NHL. How old were you at that point? You were like 40, 40 maybe? I was 40. Yeah. 40? I was, yeah. And Morrow's a kid who was maybe 19, was 20, 20 years, years old. old. Yeah, 19, yeah. 20 years old. And he's I, sniffing I him- around the dressing room. He's sniffing around the families and the wives and the kids. And he meets a young lady and Marie Carboneau. Yeah. Yeah. How did you tell our audience what happened after that? Uh, well, after that, like before that, it was fun funnier. I uh, just, um, you know, I think Brendan came to training camp, um, got caught when they started in the American league. And I think early in November or mid November, uh, he was doing well in the American league. So they brought him up. Um, and then he was, you know, he was just a young kid that uh, wanted to prove himself. He was, uh, I, you know, I thought he was a really hot, a good hockey player. Um, my daughter had a boyfriend. He had a girlfriend. Uh, but for Christmas party, uh, 
they were by themselves and they talked for you know an hour and then at the Super Bowl party they talked a little bit more and from Super Bowl party to about a couple of weeks after that all I heard at home was Brendan's name or <laughs> or often with between my daughter and my wife what's that like when you're hearing your yeah. daughter and your wife talking about one of your teammates yeah well it, I didn't catch it up early but then after that after a while like I, I kind of knew what they were talking about because in the room uh every time I was around Brendan everybody around was kind of quiet and kind of <laughs> di- didn't want to steer up the putt I, I, I don't know what they were th- yeah. thinking so I, at one point like it was just you know I, I kind of knew that there the connection was there and and I went to see him and I told him that you know don't worry about it I'm it's okay I'm 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 fine with it and because I had the chance to kind of know the, the kid before, like, you know, yeah. for three, four months. And yeah. uh, I always thought it was easy. He's a good guy. Exactly. So, yeah, it was an easy, and that was it. They're, good they're guy from Carlisle, Saskatchewan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good guy. And, it, and it's turned out to be such a such a great yeah. story there. Yeah. So uh, we're in conversation with Guy Carbono, Hockey Hall of Famer, three-time Stanley Cup champion. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. Guy, a lot of guys, when they retire from hockey, and I've had a lot of guests on this show, um, Mike Madano, Marty Brodeur, Zdeno Chara, guys are like, I had a great career. I enjoyed my run, but I don't really want to be a part of the game anymore. I definitely don't want to coach. But you decided, not only did you decide you want to coach, you had a pretty successful run at that. What was it about the coaching thing that that got you right after a little time off, not much time off, yeah. got you right back behind the bench? Because in the from 2000 to 2002, you're actually an assistant with Michelle Terry on in Montreal. What was that transition? What led to that? Well, it, it's just just being the right the right place at the right time, I guess. Uh, I, I was always somebody, a good student of the game. Um, I always kind of had, you know, I, I love to kind of, look at game things and or uh, videos and, and trying to figure out things. So I, I knew I, after my career that I want to stay around hockey. I didn't know in what capacity or what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to stay close to, to the game. And uh, after my career in Dallas, um, you know, Bob was still there. I was hoping to get something, you know, in the office in Dallas and, yeah. uh, uh, had a good conversation with Bob. Said, "Listen, um, I think they got phone calls from Montreal. They would like you to go to come here." And and uh, uh, and so I I came I came back here. I, I was in 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 the office with Rajan Wu, and uh, we fired a coach uh, before Christmas and uh, uh, hired Michel Terrier, and uh, I got asked. If I wanted to go to behind the bench with Michelle, and uh, I said yes, and, and so I did that for a couple of years. Then uh, yeah. Doug Armstrong got the job in Dallas as a GM. Uh, called me and asked me, said, you know, I would like you to come and be an assistant GM with me, and so I did that. And until for six years, you did that for quite yeah. a while. You had a good run <laughs> in Dallas. Yeah, and then uh, until Bob called, Bob was a GM here in Montreal, and. Called Doug Armstrong <laughs> and asked. It just seemed like where Bob Ganey went, <laughs> that Guy Carbo exactly. would follow. Yeah. Whether yeah. it's mentoring as a yeah. Selkie winner yeah. or Stanley Cup champion or wearing the C or coaching, yeah. and now yeah. in management, you guys, you guys really built a long, long, rich tradition together, didn't you? I, I think so. I, I think you know when I started my career in Montreal, like uh, we were both roommates. Um, uh, like you said, like you know, 
I asking me when Jock asked me to kind of change my style, not not that it was a, a tough decision because you know you go from four minutes, like I said, you go from four or five minutes of game playing games uh, to about twenty. Minutes, you know, just because I changed my style, uh, that was an easy decision. But you know, having Bob beside me, um, and I, I like you said earlier, like uh, and, and being successful at it. Um, uh, it, for me, it wasn't a, a, a hard task to, yeah. to do that. Like, uh, I still, I was still able to score goals. I, I still, you know, I think to this day, the game hasn't changed. You know, that yeah. I think that's what the, that thing, that's one of the toughest part when you try to teach young kids because everybody's successful. Everybody that goes up and, and playing NHL has to be successful at one point yeah. or else they wouldn't, they wouldn't be. Or they wouldn't be there. I, yeah, exactly. But I think once you get, in the NHL, you have to be able to adapt. Uh, and the game hasn't changed. If you don't have the puck on your stick, you can't score goals. Yeah. So for me, absolutely. it was, so me, for me, it was just, if I play, I, I knew if I play well defensively, the chance to having the puck on my stick early and often. And so I always thought that way. Um, even today, I think if yeah. you see, if you look around the kid that are successful and the team that are successful, I think they understand yeah. That, but relationship with Bob has always been good. Yeah. Uh, so, but when he called, uh, he asked me to coach the Montreal Canadian, and I was like, Bob, I, I, I've never was never a head coach before. Like, I, I don't know how to handle those things. Like, <laughs> you know, I, uh, but I made a deal with him. I said, and that was like early January or end of January, and I told in Montreal with you, I'll be an assistant coach until the end of the year, and then at the end of the year, I'll take the team over, and uh, that's how it started. Yeah. Uh, there's a story and I forgot to ask you this. My producer, Colin Campbell, just reminded me of this. Uh, when you won the Stanley cup, you, you had mentioned before about it was all a hundred miles an hour. When you won your first cup with the yep. Habs, you enjoyed it a little bit more in 1993 when you captained the Habs of the cup, 1999. Now you're an experienced veteran. You can just party. And <laughs> there was a bit of a pool party where yep. the Stanley cup was a special guest. Do you remember what uh, damage you did to the cup in that pool party? Do you want to share that? Uh, I don't remember the, the, the story. I, I don't remember the story because <laughs> it did been ten stories, but like it, it was one of those things. Like uh, you know, we were uh, at a private house and everybody was partying in the pool, and uh, I somebody asked me for the cup uh, close by the pool, and I was on the second floor, and I just uh, <laughs> lowered the Stanley Cup, and he dropped it. So, you, but I don't, so I don't, you lowered it and he dropped it. Exactly. Can I mention his name or do I mean just? I, I don't remember at all. That's well, what rumor I has it. it might have been Ludwig, I'll, but yeah, you know, I'll just I'll throw that out there. And it's me. <laughs> and it was nobody else. There was some alcohol involved. Alcohol involved. I get that. I yeah. get that. I'm sure that's not the first time that the cup has been oh, damaged. No. Sure. Because of what you guys did to that cup in the <laughs> 80s, 90s, yeah. through the 2000s, the cup now has a full-time escort, Phil Pritchard. I, there was somebody there. The case. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but what's he going to do? Stop you from partying <laughs> in the pool with it? Exactly. <laughs> We're in conversation with Guy Carbono, Hockey Hall of Favor, inducted back in, in 2019. Um, when you when you look at the game where we are now, you've gone through every aspect of it. You were a rock star in major junior. You shifted your game and adjusted your game and balanced it. Became a full Selkie, three-time Selkie winner in the league. Won the cup. Uh, were head coach and assistant general manager. Um, so you you've seen the entire gamut of it. 
as you sit back and look at where we are now, and you kind of briefly alluded to this, but I want to follow up on this with where we're at right now. I want to start first off with where the Montreal Canadiens are now as an organization. They're not the only team that's gone through a major no. drought for the Stanley Cup. As you mentioned, yeah. 1993 is the last Canadian team won a cup. We've gone to the to the hard cap era where you even talked about that, where you could buy talent. You can't do that now. You've got to be much, much more responsible. What is it that's made it so much more difficult for Canadian organizations, or is that just the way it's turned out, to to be able to compete on a level playing field with everybody else? Because there there have been no championships in Canada for the last 30 years. Is this is this just the hard cap and now you just need better management? Or you need some more luck in this, or or what do you see as that? I, I think the hard cap. Is, is, is a huge part of it. I think the, the U.S. and Canadian money is a huge thing of it, like the taxes is. But, Guy, everybody gets to spend the same amount of money. So if everybody has the same budget. I understand that. But, like, yeah, but, like, Steve Sam- Stamkos, Victor Henman should be oh. making $11 million. Right. But they decide not to because they're in Tampa. Where the tax uh, situation is so much better. Exactly. So, you yeah. know, by having $2 million each less money and that, and then you go to the next guy and then to the next guy and to the next guy, then you end up with five or $6 million in your hands where you That's can right. get one or two really good players. Uh, you know, it, it's not the case in Montreal. It's not the case in Toronto, Calgary, whatever. So, you know, and you kind of, I've never been into those uh, discussion between uh, an agent and the GM about, contracts but there's no city you know i'm going to give you a you know a a little like petrus bergeron is is doing in boston yeah Uh, take a hometown haircut exactly i haven't heard anything like that in canada yeah so that's fair i mean at the end of the day i mean it's not just that um but it definitely helped putting keeping together yeah okay but you know what else really helps is the drafting the draft yes. and drafting yeah, well, and then being fortunate enough to have the top pick when you have a generational player show up, a Sidney Crosby, a Connor yeah. McDavid, which brings me to Connor Bedard. Yeah. And now uh, the commissioner, I don't know if you heard him, but yes, adamant now doing his tour saying teams don't tank. There's no way teams tank. Yeah. The Montreal Canadians are right there as an organization. Cole Caulfield has been shut down for the season. Um, you know, they're they're not going to go out and acquire. They're looking to be sellers as they make their way down to the trade deadline. You can't use the official phrase tank, but you've been an assistant general manager. Do you think that kind of thing goes on where a team says, listen, we're not making the playoffs. We're not competing. So let's sell right now and put ourselves in a really good position for a guy like a Connor Bedard, put ourselves in a better position for the draft lottery where yeah. a kid like that could could really affect the, the difference in our organization. Definitely. Um, it, it's happening. It's, it's happened over the, you know, the last 100 years. Um, and, and today is the same thing. Um, it's no different. And, you know, teams are looking to get better, not quick, but, you know, they know that they need to draft well. And like you said, when you have a guy like Connor uh, that can change a team on a dime, uh, everybody. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I work on TV. I work with RDS and I, you know, I have to comment on a lot of things. And, and for me, my comment this year and till this day, I, I hope that the Canadians finish last. That's, that's, you know, and because they, they yeah. because they, they would yeah. have more chance for Connor. 
but I was a player and I was a coach and those guys, they don't care about Connor Bedard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we won tonight. Every game. The players that are, are on the ice every night, they want to win to right now. They want to win every game because that's their life. Like that's how they make a living. Yeah. That's how they feed their family. That's, you know, that's how they can do things in the future. Um, uh, Sam Montambo, uh, Jake Allen, uh, Caden Goulet, they just, you know, guys like that, they, they don't care about Connor Bedard. They got to work towards their next contract. It, exactly. So, yeah. you know, it, it's the management wants to put a good team together. You know, they for one year or two years, they want to be bad, but they don't want to, you know, they want to, you know, but it, hopefully they get, they need to, to draft well and, and even when you draft well, you have to be able to surround those kids with the right person or the right yeah. players. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the fact you're still in the broadcasting, doing a great job with that. Um, you're also back in coaching with a program <laughs> called Three Ice, Three Ice with yourself and Brian Trotje yeah. and Joe Murphy. John Leclerc, John Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. that's some great talent in coaching there. Tell our audience <laughs> about that. Well, I, I got a phone call about three years ago uh, from Craig Patrick. Uh, and EJ Johnson, uh, they had that idea to build, put together a three-on-three -three league that would play in the summer. Um, and because of COVID, like you know, they were kind of delayed a little bit. But last year was our first year, um, so there was uh, nine weekends um, where we had six teams that competed in every like on one day. Uh, yeah. The games are two uh, two periods of eight minutes. Uh, it's really three quick. on three drama, three, three, three on three drama. Exactly. So if yeah. each team is uh, six players, one goalie, uh, there was a draft. Uh, a lot of those kids played in college junior, um, yeah. in Europe. Uh, there was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I, there was a little kind of hesitation at the start, but, you know, after the first year, last year, uh, I can see that thing. I, I'm, I'm, I think they it will keep going. It, it'll just grow. Uh, and there was a lot of players, I think, that stayed home last year that would want to come and, and play this year. So cool. uh, it's it's fun. That's awesome. Are we going to see you back in management or coaching in the NHL level at all? I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not putting myself out there too much. Uh, I'm, bad, I'm, I'm, I'm not a salesman. So I'm a bad uh, a, promoting myself uh, if somebody call i would love to uh, i you know coaching was uh, not easy but it's something that i really enjoyed um so we'll you never know but like you know i enjoy what i do on tv right now i, I give me time to enjoy my life uh, a little bit more and not being you know taken every day for yeah. six or seven months but uh it's you know when i watch games it's uh I'd love, I, I can see myself behind a bench or upstairs with somebody. Awesome. Guy, it has been so great catching up with you again, my friend. I've, I've loved so much following your career. And thanks. Uh, you're one of the all time greats, my friend, both on Thank and off you. the ice. I appreciate your time with us. Thank you very much. Hockey Hall of Famer, three time Stanley Cup champion, Guy Carboneau, has been our guest. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. 
Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at OvertimePodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7.